welcome. I'm Rabbi Nahal Meth with the Las Vegas Kolel. In the early 70s, Miami, Florida banned phosphates in their laundry detergent. Researchers found that people began smuggling in laundry detergent with phosphates from surrounding counties. Now that's not so surprising, but what researchers also found is that those people who began smuggling and hoarding those phosphate laundry detergents began rating those detergents as being better whiteners, being gentler on their washes, being better at stain removal, and being overall better products. They even found that it was better in cold water and it was, would pour better than, than detergents that didn't have those phosphates. Now, what was surprising and remarkable about that study is that folks in the counties that didn't have that phosphate detergent ban they found no difference, researchers found that people had no difference, uh, felt that there was no difference between the detergents that had the phosphates versus the detergent that did have the phosphates. It was only in Miami where the ban had been in an effect where you weren't legally able to use laundry detergents with phosphates. It was in those counties where you had that, those illegally smuggled and hoarded phosphate detergents, it was only with those people, those consumers were the ones who would rate their detergents with phosphates as being better than non-phosphate detergent. Psychologists, particularly social psychologists, explain that one of the most powerful driving forces in humanity is the law of scarcity. Items, products, things that are scarce, things that aren't and in enough supply, we tend to hoard them, we tend to place a lot of value in them, but this research also shows is that we tend to rate things that are scarce as being of greater value, as actually being substantively better than things that are in abundance. This is a common phenomenon and it's called the law of scarcity, the scarcity bias, something that psychologists have been aware of for many, many years. We also find the opposite. It's interesting, when the Torah talks about the mitzvah of the Trumas Hadeshen, that was the mitzvah back in the temple, on the altar, on the Mizbeach, the Kohanim, the priests, were commanded that they had to every day go ahead and remove the ashes from the sacrifices of the previous day. That would, it would be very dirty, it would be labor-intensive. We also find that they, the, the priests, the Kohanim, had to go ahead and set up the next day's maracha, the next day's pyre for the altar. They had to assemble the wood and the logs that would be prepared to be burned. What we find is that the Torah says tzav. When God introduces this com- these commandments, God tells Aaron, he tells the priests with the language of tzav, which Rashi explains is a, means to command them, but it specifically means lizares. They should have an extra amount of zeal, of motivation, to make sure you're doing that mitzvah with the right amount of passion. Now, Chizkuni, one of the early sages and commentaries, medieval commentaries on the Torah, explains that the reason why Rashi and the reason why the Torah highlights this language of tzav, of zeros, of extra motivation, is because it's the type of mitzvah that can easily be overlooked. It can be easily done without the right passion and the right focus. I believe the explanation is, is because it was the type of mitzvah, the trumas hadeshen, the removing of the ashes and the setting up of the wood, the logs, they were labor intensive and they weren't necessarily the most glamorous of jobs. If you think about it, it was janitorial work. You had to clean up the dirty ash and you had to schlep in the heavy wood. It wasn't necessarily the most glamorous 
of mitzvahs that had to be done in the temple in the Beis HaMikdash. And that's why the Torah tells us, Tzav, do it with an extra amount of zeros, with the extra amount of eagerness, of zeal, of motivation, and passion. And remember, it is a mitzvah. It's one of God's commandments. We should be doing it with the right intentions and with the right frame of mind. What struck me as being so interesting is imagine if I were to tell you or me or anyone else that you have the opportunity once in your life to do this mitzvah. You can one time be the person who's going to be able to set up the maracha, to set up the wood logs for the day's service, or you have the opportunity to do the truma sadasha, and you'll be the one who's going to be able to clean up the old ashes from the yesterday's service. Imagine if you had that opportunity just once in your life. It would be one of the greatest mitzvahs and opportunities we would ever have. You know, the Beis Hamikdash, the temple, has been destroyed for, for 2,000 years. We've been yearning and longing to be able to go ahead and do the great mitzvahs in the Beis Hamikdash. If I were to tell you you're going to only be able to do it once, the Beis Hamikdash will be around for one day, and you're going to only have the opportunity to do the Trumas Hadashin once in your life, you'd probably rate that over the course of your life as one of the most spiritual moments in our lives. What an opportunity. What a mitzvah. I got to do the truma sadash and I was the one who was able to clean out the dirty ashes on top of the altar. I was the one who got to set up the maracha, to set up the logs for the day's service. We'd be telling it to our children and our grandchildren for the rest of our lives. But Rashi and Chizkuni are pointing out when the Beis HaMikdash was around, it wasn't just around for one day. It was around every day. And this mitzvah of Trumas Hadashan, the mitzvah of the maracha, of cleaning the ashes, of setting up the logs, it can grow stale very quickly. It's dirty, it's not the most dignified of mitzvahs, and it's very easy in human nature when things happen every single day, when they don't have that scarcity, when actually when you have the opposite, when you have abundance, Familiarity breeds content, and we can easily grow tired, bored, and lose that eagerness and zealousness and enthusiasm for the mitzvah. And that's why God introduces the mitzvah by saying, Tzav, do it with eagerness, do it with passion. It's really a remarkable idea. We really see the psychological inverse of the scarcity principle. We see that when things are in abundance, things can get stale very, very quickly. We can lose the value of something that actually, in its absolute terms, is very valuable. Because of its abundance, we end up not thinking that it's anything special, and we don't really have the passion or eagerness and enthusiasm that we ought to. We live today in unprecedented times. You know, we're quarantined, we're locked up, and I think we see this idea of the scarcity principle, we see it all around us. Whether it's people hoarding and, and, you know, stockpiling masks, toilet paper, canned food. Some of it's legitimate, a lot of it's not legitimate, but we see the scarcity principle in force. We see it happening around us. We get that. It's reasonable and it's understandable. The scarcity principle should also be highlighting in our lives something that I think a lot of us are reflecting on. Now that we're all locked up in our houses and we can't do the activities with which just a few weeks ago we did every single day, we realize we shouldn't be taking those things for granted. Our freedoms to be able to go to work, to congregate at a, you know, at a party or any other social event. We're not doing those things now. Those things are scarce. They're not available. And we tend to value those things and, and we long for those things. And I guess that's another really important human reaction and it makes a lot of sense. But I think we see from the message of Rashi, from the message of Chizkuni, that 
We should also be aware of the abundance bias, working in the opposite. Just last night, I was putting my seven-year-old to sleep, and as I was putting him to bed, it dawned on me, you know, so much of what had been normal in our lives are no longer available. But there are still things that are super duper precious in our lives that we still have in abundance, like time that we get to spend with our loved ones, our health, cracking a joke, smiling with your, ch with your children, with your spouse, with people around you. Even though life has been changed in a very, very real and significant way, there are still so many cherished things in our lives that we still have in abundance. And we shouldn't go ahead and dismiss them. We shouldn't miss out on the enthusiasm, on the encouragement, on the real joy of some of the things that we have in abundance, things that really do bring us a lot of happiness. We should take the message of Rashi and take the message of Chizkuni to heart. Even though we're locked up, even though we're all quarantined, even though life is very different than it was a few weeks ago, there are still things in our lives that we still do have in abundance. Let's take the focus and the time and the opportunity to appreciate, to value, to really take to heart some of those things that are in our lives that are so meaningful, that are so beautiful, that we really do cherish, but maybe we don't spend enough time to focus on them because they happen in abundance. Let's recognize there's still a lot of good in our lives. There are a lot of things that are so wonderful and that are so great and we should really be super appreciative. Not let the abundance bias work, just like we shouldn't let the scarcity bias, you know, sometimes make us do things that aren't appropriate. Let's recognize there's a lot of great and a lot of good in our lives and cherish those moments as well.